0: I suppose I got into falconry from books and, and television as a kid. I mean, it was already... When Gene Craighead George wrote a book called My Side of the Mountain with a falcon in it, and that was filmed by, I think, Disney. So that was in my consciousness, and I was reading a lot, too. I read very precociously. The Ames Library in, in eastern Massachusetts is a Richardson Design building. It's magnificent architectural, full of books from the 19th century that the, the Ames who turned into squires with their money out there by, by birds and animals. So they don't mean the, the adult stacks. I took all these 19th century books, falconry and pigeons, things like that, and I got fascinated. Started keeping them myself. I caught my first castle with a boat trap made of yardsticks and old badminton netting and uh, lab mouse and didn't turn back.
1: Hey, how's it going, everyone? Welcome back for another episode of the Falconry Toll Podcast, brought to you in part by the fine folks at Marshall Radio Telemetry, the makers of the most carefully engineered and reliable tracking systems available. For more information on Marshall Radio's amazing products, including their GPS system, head to marshallradio.com. And also in part by the Falconry Fund, The Falconry Fund is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting and protecting the various arts and practices of falconry and the cultural and environmental assets that make it possible. For more information on the Falconry Fund, as well as their latest projects, and also to donate, head to falconryfund.org. And this episode is going to be a little bit different format than what you all are used to hearing. However, I think it's a a meaningful one and one that I'm glad that I got the privilege to put together. This is also going to be the last episode in the New Mexico Falconers Association podcast series that I have recently been working on and you all have been listening to the past handful of weeks here. While I was down in New Mexico, one person that I kept hearing a lot of the falconers down there talk about was Steve Bodio. And this is a name that I've also heard come up several different times from other falconers that I am acquainted with and know. And it became pretty apparent after talking more to Paul and some of these other guys down in New Mexico that this is a guy that's been pretty inspirational to multiple generations of falconers, not just through his writings, but also through the kindness of sharing his experiences and knowledge with other people. So I kind of wanted to do something a little different for Steve in this episode by getting a few different falconers to kind of give a testimonial on... Which particular writings or interactions with Steve that were most impactful to them, as well as share a little bit of knowledge that Steve wanted to impart in the short time that I had to have a conversation with him. So without further ado, I think we'll get started with Paul Domsky's testimonial and let him go ahead and share his thoughts. So here we go.
2: When I was a when I was an apprentice, uh, my, my sponsor lent me a book, Rage for Falcons. And, uh, I read that and I was just blown away by the stories in that book and the style of writing. Um, Steve's writing is, he's so descriptive and he's, when you're reading it, you're right there with him experiencing it. And it, it's just incredible. And, uh, you know, I, I knew he lived in Magdalena, which is a town about, um, a hundred miles South of where I live right now. And, uh, I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, at the time I was really intimidated by the fact of trying to approach someone always an author and he's famous and so on and so forth. But then at some point I read a second book of his called *Querencia*, and that's about his, his story of how he went from living um, in the Boston area and ending up in this small little dusty town in uh, the back, the backwoods or the back plains of New Mexico. And, uh, it was really fascinating. It, it covers all aspects of his life, from his relationship with his uh, with his with his partner at the time, and um, his life with dogs and falcons and hawks. And um, you know, he spent quite a bit of time in that book talking about sight hounds, you know, Salukis and greyhounds and uh, <clears throat> Scott deer hounds and so forth. And I, I found that whole aspect of hunting to be fascinating. I mean, he, he spent some time talking about, you know, using the dogs along with the Falcon as an ancient means of hunting and kind of resurrecting it in the, in the plains of New Mexico. And I, I was just fascinated by that. And he, at the same time, he mentioned, uh, one of his mentors, who was also an author, a fellow named Dutch Salmon, who was really big into the sighthound world and talked about how, um, you know, Dutch lived in a town called Silver City, which is also in New Mexico. It's about four hours from here out in the in the, the Gila region of the state. And uh, it talked about their relationship. Well, at some point, I was on a family vacation with the kids. My kids were little at the time, and we were down in the Silver City area. And I contacted this guy, Dutch. And You know, before I knew it, we were, my wife and I and the family, we had a sighthound of our own and we were getting into the whole, you know, running dogs and mixing it with the birds and everything else. And at that point um, I had heard through Steve. Steve has a blog. It's called appropriately called Corinthia. And I was a big fan of his blog and reading about it. And he always published these really great articles about these ancient sighthounds from the, um, from the stands from Kazakhstan and Turkmenistan and so forth. And, uh, he had brought over, um, a couple of dogs, I think through some friends connections of his who were Russian and he had bred a couple of litters and he had puppies. And I, I guess I built up my nerve and I contacted Steve through email and he was very gracious and very, uh, very open to people coming down and seeing his dogs and talking to him about hunting with dogs and Falcons and everything. So we packed up one Saturday and I don't know, I think it was June of, uh, gosh, I don't know, 2005 or 2006. <clears throat> and my kids, my wife and I, we went down there and we saw these puppies. And before I knew it, we were bringing a puppy home and our marriage survived that little episode. And, <laughs> um, but it was through Steve and through his writing that really a whole chapter and way of life for, for myself and my family opened. And, um, it was, it was just the beginning at that point. And since, since the time of getting our dog from Steve, we've, we've added a bunch of Salukis over the years. I mean, many have come and gone and we still have six that live with us now. And, you know, we're heavily into running Salukis and our love of them. And uh, I really have to, you know, credit Steve and his writings for that. And um, I think he deserves a, a (laughs) he's an all-time hero in my book because of that. And just recently, I was visiting him and we spent a couple of hours in his library and he was showing me his natural history books. He, he has, you know, there's the archives of falconry and Steve has his own archives at his house. And it's it's truly incredible to go down there and, and, and listen to him talk about uh, the people that he knows and the people that he's known over the years and the experience he's had hunting when, with different people around the country and around the world. He's, he's just a a fascinating person that um, you know forever will inspire me
1: and again everyone that was Paul Domsky and thank you again Paul for contributing to this episode and sharing those thoughts with us and I'm sure Steve will greatly appreciate them and next up we have Matt Molynex who has known Steve for a while and is also a friend of the podcast and once he found out that we were going to be doing this dedication episode he wanted to contribute some different thoughts and sentiments as well. So, with that, here is Matt Molynex everyone. Thanks,
3: Jonathan. I, I appreciate this opportunity to uh, to talk a little bit about Steve, um, who, who, who I have known uh, uh, through through correspondence and in uh, a few uh, visits to, to Magdalena. Um, uh, pr- probably. I mean, almost almost my entire falconry uh, career. I, I started um, in the mid '80s in in Panama, so it was it was basically all all correspondence. Uh, in, any any time I talked to any falconer, uh, but when I got up to the states a, a couple of years later, um, he was one of the first uh, people that I had read um, writing about falconry, about contemporary falconry. And, uh, and, and, and also, you know, having the benefit of being alive and and having a phone number, uh, and you could actually reach out to him. And, um, and then when the, when the internet came along and, and this was even early in that when, you know, when there were chat rooms and, um, and, uh, dial up connections, uh, he was, he was an early adopter, uh, of, of communication in that format as well. So, uh, so that was all useful to me in my, in my, uh, in my coming up years, um, like a lot of falconers uh i'm i'm fifty one uh so so my generation of falconers it, one of the first you know sort of popular books that we had was a rage for falcons and um and that was that was an amazing book for for me to read because uh because it was not a, a manual it was it was um it was a legitimate um, popular book about uh, a sport that I was already uh, in, invested in, I, you know, obviously had not been practicing it long, but, um, but I knew it was something I wanted to do forever. And, and frankly, just having the example of a person who, uh, you know, wrote well about falconry, uh, contemporary falconry, um, and was an adult and was uh, and was a su- successful writer, something that I had also aspired to, um, was was hugely inspirational to me. Um, and uh, you know, sort of a, a guide star, uh, a, a, an example of a person who, you, you know, not not only practiced falconry for his life, but had a uh, you know incredibly interesting life doing uh, uh, a lot of the things that 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 I and other falconers enjoy doing, just sort of you know naturalist type stuff, um, observations of of not just raptors but but all wild birds and wild places and. Um, and then, as I read more of his writing, his uh, his, his essays, like in uh, in uh, On the Edge of the Wild, um, then he became influential not just as a as a as a as a, as a falconry uh, figure uh, in my life, but also as a writer. Um, and I learned a lot about uh, about essay writing. I learned a lot about how to uh, express um, uh, what you know what he calls writing uh, with trees in it, uh, which is. Um, which is you know writing that we that uh, it has sorry, outdoors element and uh and also you know some naturalistic uh wildlife uh also people and uh and all these things that we're fascinated with that I have always wanted to, to try to express in my own writing and um and and all writers do this they'll they'll find uh, people that that seem to speak to them through the pages. And uh, and will emulate uh, the style and emulate the the ideas and and I and I know I, I did that and, and probably still do that, um, and you and you deconstruct the writing too, which I think y- you know all writers sort of appreciate that the next generation is going to do that is going to take what they write, uh, read it uh, critically, not just uh, for enjoyment but also to see how he did it, um, and um, and one one of the one of the funny things that uh, uh, admissions that I have had, and I, I've shared it with with other writers. Um, and and Steve was my example for this, but it could have been anybody. Um, so you read enough of Steve's work, uh, and you realize he's a, he's a working writer, uh, and has spent his life as a working writer. And a working writer uh, does not make up new stuff every single time. Uh, so you you have uh, you have great phrases, and you have great ideas, uh, and to the extent that you're that you can, um, you 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 recycle things and so uh so if you if you read everything he's he's written, it's all um you know in my view uh, excellent and uh and and worthwhile uh but there are there are uh themes and and these themes uh, were revisited and and reworked um and and to me uh that was a revelation because uh i I was under the impression that you had to you know basically Produce original content. Every single word could not be the same word that you used in the last, uh, you know, sentence. Which you, you you might run out of words uh, pretty quickly, um, but uh, so so that was important and, and a relief uh, to me that you could uh, that that you know you could have a finite amount of ideas and revisit them, keep coming back to the well in a sense. Um, which you know, as I've grown older, I realize is is kind of a metaphor. Um, for my falconry as well, you, you keep going back to the well, you, 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 know, people are not sort of infinitely, um, uh, variable. We have patterns and we have uh, interests that, that sustain us through our, our lives. Uh, Steve's interests have been steady, you know, as long as he's been writing. And, and, and then I'm sure before, uh, this, uh, intersection between, uh, people and animals and places. And, um, it's, it's, it's all the stuff that, that I love and, and, and a lot of falconers are drawn to um, and and what a great gift uh, he's given us uh, to have this volume of literature that um, that so that so beautifully reflects uh, all these things that we love um, you, you know another re- revelation was that you could be a falconer and not write about falconry in every book um, you know, uh, that, 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 a, that a working writer was somebody who may be interested in, in falconry and may practice falconry, but could write, uh, well about, uh, about food and about guns and about, uh, wildlife and, um, you know, any sop- subject that, that, that sort of meets his fancy and he can find a buyer for, um, and, and Steve's covered a lot of ground, uh, in that, um, from, uh, you know, uh. Basically, all of his interests being uh, beautifully well represented. From uh, you know a, a couple of books of bibli- bibliography, which is you know essentially um, all the books he's read. He's an unbelievably literate person. Uh, and if, you, if you've been to his house, I mean, it's like a, 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 a it's like a wizard's cottage. You know, uh, <laughs> all sorts of little potions and 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 dried specimens on the walls, but books, 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 and uh, shelves and shelves of books. Uh, you know, all of which he, he has, has, has read, I'm sure, numerous times and, and has probably lost and given away more books than, than, than he's got there. But um, but he's a he's a wonderful student of books and a wonderful fan of books uh, in general and uh, and writes, you know, not only um, introductions to books, which uh, w- w- which sort of is its own genre that he has um, that he's done a lot of, of work in. Um, introducing not just uh, bu- uh, l- books of literature that he's uh, that that were important to him, uh, like like Brian Plummer's uh, Tales of a Rat Hunting Man, uh, which is a fantastic book. I highly recommend it to anybody uh, who's a falconer or or just likes you know animals and people and funny uh, uh, period stuff. Um, but but wrote a great introduction to that that puts it in context. Uh, wrote uh, a great introduction to T. H. White's The goshawk. Um, his his introductions actually um, comprise a, almost a collection of, of these great books, uh, all of which introduced by him. It's a super um, super collection, and uh, I recommend them all to you. Um, so there's that. Uh, his his, uh, his 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 continuing reflection on um, on appreciation, on being a, uh, you know both a, a foodie. Uh, without being you, you know so sophisticated that he, that he's unapproachable um, uh gives you an idea even if you're not into food uh what it might be like to really be uh you know an appreciation uh, an appreciator of of fine things where wherever you find them and uh and i think uh both he and, and his and his wife libby uh, we have had a bunch of fine meals together uh that that they have cooked but uh but also through his writing. Um, it's obvious that, that he knows what he's talking about and, uh, and, and enjoys it and can write well about it. So um, back to, to falconry a, a bit. Rage for Falcons, uh, you know, a, a huge uh, influence. And, and I think um, just to say, I, I think I read excerpts from it in a Smithsonian article before the book came out and uh and it had uh, uh it had photographs which you know you, you remember all the photographs as a kid uh as much as you remember the text uh any any guy with a, you know holding a hawk somehow is indelible uh indelibly uh, burned into your head so so the illustrations in this magazine article obviously he was uh he was editor of a uh, Gray's Sporting Journal which is a little bit before my time um uh wish I wish I had a a uh, you know, sort of compendium of all those articles too to to go through them because you you, you 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 realize that there will be at some point a body of Steve's work that's finite. And uh, and and that's, you know, I think for any any of your favorite writers, that's a sad uh idea. Um that, you know, that there will there will come a time when, when there will be the last word. Uh and um so I'm hoping, uh, and I expect fully uh, to be able to uncover a bunch of stuff that he's written that I that has just that has just passed me by, and I'll and I look forward to, to to diving in again. Um, I, I would say along along the lines of uh, books that are not specifically about falconry, um, although uh, contain falconry, like you know, like sort of every 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 conversation that we that we might have as falconers um, is going to range widely from you know our families and our, our kids and our pets and. Um, also our falconry, but our work and our travel um all of these things you can read in steve 's work um it, his book uh is a um like i, I said um I, I think all of his work is great uh, i like um i really like the essays um i, I like the, the the thought pieces uh, th- this book cadncia is um is is literature i mean it 's american literature uh, that i think is is can. Can go toe to toe with with anybody else uh, that was writing at at the time, and um, a wonderful story of, of loss uh, about his, his first wife uh, who uh, who passed um, and the adventures that they had together. So a, a memoir, um, very very moving, and, uh, and 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 absolutely worth reading. Um, on, on a as as personal observation, um, I made I guess my first trip. Uh, down to see him qu- quite a while ago uh it might have been twenty years ago uh and then made another trip a couple of years ago and um and and it was you know it, of course it's amazing to read about a place that he's been writing about this little tiny village in New mexico um and and then to realize it's it is actually even smaller than you imagine <laughs> than you imagined it's a it's a it 's like four streets uh most of them dirt uh and when he says he walks to the spur this little bar at the end of his street it, he walks to the spur it's a little bar at the end of his street um uh, and uh it's it just w- wonderful to to realize that you are in the place that you that you sort of knew from the books and uh and it is you know comfortably uh as you imagined it uh it's not a little bit you know more comfortable and uh and his house is uh, difficult to describe it's uh, he, he calls it the little rock house uh but it's uh it's like an adobe uh, structure, several rooms, a uh, wood stove, um, uh, usually a hawk in the kitchen, uh, dogs on the on the sofa, uh, books everywhere, and um, you know qu- quite an experience uh, t- to visit um, you know qu- quite quite uh, quite a, a lot of long hours uh, discussing uh, authors and books and and just trying to drink it all in. Um, my, my last visit, uh, Steve has, has, has suffered from his Parkinson's, uh, for, for some years now. And and that's become, uh, that's become more debilitating to him, which is hard to, to see, but, uh, but you could see, uh, it's the same guy, uh, behind the eyes and, uh, the same guy, uh, in the conversation. And when he gets going, it's the same guy, uh, that, that, that you remember. And, um, and I, I certainly hope that 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 that'll continue for many years. I know he, he he's uh, he's he's fully engaged in his own treatment and um and is and in his uh, taking care of his of his health and uh, certainly wish him all the best uh, for that. Um, I, I can say with with tremendous uh, gratitude how generous Steve has been to me personally, uh, as a reader of things that I've written and, a and an editor, uh, of things that I have written. Um, he wrote a wonderful introduction to, uh, to In season, um, the book I wrote, uh, mainly about, uh, about my kids growing up in, in falconry. And, um, we've collaborated on, uh, on a blog for a number of years, uh, with, Cat uh, Kat Urbicott and, and Reed Farmer, um, and that was a lot of fun, and that gave me a lot of uh yeah, sort of confidence and 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 uh and leeway to write about stuff or to pretend like I was you know writing like him and uh and and sort of you know tool up all the the themes and um and try to learn you know from his responses uh how to operate and this was early in the you know blog world again he was he was always an early adopter on on technology um even though you know, he would tell you he's a man of the, you know, 18th and 19th century. Um, And, uh, but he's, but he's, he's, he's got a good grasp of, uh, of, of how to communicate and, and what are, what are the, what are the, I mean, and as a writer, obviously you you would expect that, but, uh, but you don't always expect that he would be so engaging and so open. Um, you, You know, some writers are, especially Western writers, famously reclusive and uh and he is you know if anything uh famously not reclusive uh but uh but very engaged and very engaging and uh very willing to uh not only ha- uh, have visitors but uh uh but to take calls and to take emails and to and to respond generously at length um
0: uh, he's
3: he's read uh you know full manuscripts of mine and gotten back to me uh, quickly with uh you know with incredibly detailed uh feedback which is for a writer uh, it's, it's impossible to, to, to put a value on that. Um, and, and, uh, also generously, he's sent me manuscripts before they were published. Um, and so I've had the rare treat of being able to read, um, uh, you know, for example, is, is, uh, a tiger country, uh, first, uh, a foray into, into sort of long form fiction. Um, when it was just, uh, it was, you know, print out from his, from his computer. And, um, and the hounds of heaven uh which is a uh, uh which is a book about uh, about the type of dog the the sight hounds that he loves and their and their sort of uh you know far eastern origins um, I, I about hounds of heaven i was listening to the um there's an audio version of it and i was listening to that as i was driving out uh to see him this last uh trip and and it had been a while since i had had read it and i had never listened to it um but I was, uh, you know, shocked and and surprised, and again, you know, just unbelievably grateful. Uh, so he ends the book with a with a quote from me uh, that that he must have received in an email uh, in in our long correspondence, and it was me, you know, trying to be uh, witty and, and literary, uh, and uh, and he and he and he teased apart the best parts of whatever it was that I had read, written him, and and closed his his book with that, which you know, to me, I, I, that that lasts forever. Um, that lasts forever so um, so I know Steve is is a huge part of a lot of Falconer's uh, you know sort of literary and imaginative and and uh, and and uh, and relationship uh, lives um, he's definitely a part of mine uh, for all those reasons and uh, and always and always will be and it's it's an honor to um, to know that that he's written things that have my name on it and, uh, and my names and things he's written and, and to feel like you're a part of that, uh, that you, you know, only, only knew from afar at, at first and, uh, and through Steve's generous, um, acceptance and outreach and to- tutelage, uh, mentorship, uh, has been able to share with people.
1: All right. And again, everyone, those were some kind words and thoughts shared by our friend, Matt monix And thank you again, Matt, for your interest in, and participation in this episode it is definitely much appreciated and we have one more person that wanted to share some other thoughts as well and once she found out that we were doing this episode was also very eager to contribute and the person I'm speaking of of course is Lauren McGow who has also known Steve for quite a while and credits Steve for a lot of her initial interest in falconry
4: take it away Lauren I was first introduced to Steve through his book, A Rage for Falcons. A lot of falconers, their first spark in the sport is finding a book. And for me, it wasn't my side of the mountain. It was A Rage for Falcons. That was in my school library. Um, I was at Holloman Air Force Base. My dad was in the Air Force when I was 13 uh, in New Mexico by the town of Alamogordo. and that that school library actually had a rage for Falcons and I picked it up. I was sort of, I had this idea that falconry existed, but not, I didn't quite realize it was something that one could actually do. It wasn't just a pastime of medieval knights in in Britain. Um, And when I read it, read his book, that was the spark that made me go, Oh my god i can actually do this and it's happening all around me here in the us even in new mexico because of course he was only a few hours away from me uh in magdalena new mexico so oh, so i've read that book absolutely devoured it and it's for those that haven't read it i highly recommend it it's a series of vignettes from his experiences in falconry over the decades i remember he has a chapter about raising a prairie falcon pulling it from the eyrie and raising it and he called it grendel i think um so it also gave you it wasn't a how-to book and it gave you this window into what it was actually like to be a falconer and reading that i just came away with oh my god i want to be a falconer <clears throat> And, as I started to cast a wider net on falconry i I was in the beginning always interested in golden Eagles and anything cultural involving travel, central asia and so this was two thousand the year two thousand, so there was almost nothing out there on the internet about eagle hunters in Mongolia. I mean, nothing. <laughs> Except for Steve. Steve had written a piece, it was in the Atlantic, about his trip to visit the eagle hunters in Mongolia. And he was one of the very first Western falconers to go there after Mongolia really swung open its doors for tourism. So after I read that book, I found that article and realized that he was one of the only English language voices out there that had actually experienced this amazing form of falconry. Uh, and I just knew, I knew I wanted to see it and I would love to talk to this guy. So my dad moved, our whole family moved to Oklahoma city when I was 14. So we left New Mexico. And when we moved to Oklahoma, I wrote him a letter, like an actual, this was 2001 actual like piece of paper that I put my own words on. It seems so novel now. Uh, and I can't remember how I got his address, but I had his, I I had found it somewhere and I, so I wrote him a letter and I said, Hey, I'm just starting my falconry apprenticeship in Oklahoma. Your book was my favorite book. P.S. I would love to go to Mongolia. Could you help me out at all? (laughs) Uh, And I, I've still got the copy of it somewhere because he, he wrote me back a week or two later, a letter showed up from Steve, and it was just, it's something I will always, I mean, I hold him in high esteem for many reasons, but one in particular is the fact that he wrote this kid back after she sent him a letter, um, and and took me very seriously. I. I would cringe to look back on what I actually wrote as a 14 year old, but the way that he wrote me back was like a peer and another Falconer and somebody that could go to Mongolia because I had expressed this interest to my friends and family around me. And it's not that they dismissed it, but to them, it all sounded a little crazy. And Steve was an adult that thought, Absolutely. Excellent idea. You want to go to Mongolia? I will help you get there. And so he sent me a manuscript of his book, Eagle Dreams. So he wrote that article for The Atlantic, but he was in the process of writing a whole book about his experience, um, which I also highly recommend. So I had this, uh, it was actually a PDF that he emailed to me later, which I printed out and I, hole punched and put in a binder so i had had this unpublished book and he also sent me the contact information for his guides in mongolia that that actually picked him up at the airport and did the legwork to find serious eagle hunters um and so, so i've had many kind people in my life um my dad is another one so we took that information and when I graduated high school or no, just before I graduated high school. So my dad took me to Mongolia in 2004 based entirely on all this information that Steve had given us. And I talked to Steve on the phone. My dad talked to Steve on the phone. He really helped us put together a good idea of how to do this. And at the time, even 2004, again, there was no resources to look up. Where there was hardly any tourism in Mongolia at all, the festival had just started. It began in 1999, and only a ragtag bag of tourists ever showed up, and so it was very much a to the Western world a hidden thing. Um, and then I, when I was in college, I drove through New Mexico and asked if I could come visit him, and oh my gosh, it was great. He said, absolutely, of course. And so I went to Magdalena, which is just a stunning hamlet there in the mountains. Um, it's really a special place, very reminiscent of Central Asia. I always like going there because it's it's that shrub step with some gentle mountains that remind me so much of the Altai Mountains, like when you're out there I feel like there should be some yurts on the landscape, and you know, the cowboys saddling up with their eagles to go riding. Um, so it's very suited for Steve, um, and they're very uh, what's the word? Very strong memories for me every time I got to visit Steve because I learned so much. I, you know, I would spend so this first time I spent I think two days there and it was like a flood of information on Tazis, because at that time he was starting in on his next project which was was the sighthounds of central asia primarily called Tazis and tygans and uh so we talked about that we t- he's got he's such a he has connections to every interesting person i mean a great Moniker for Steve would be the most interesting man in the world. He knows, he knows everybody that knows something really fascinating. You know, he knows this paleontologist or this ecologist or this novelist or um, any anything that you can have an interest in. He knows somebody that's pursued it. I remember I mentioned snow leopards in passing, and he said, "Oh, my friend Cy Montgomery is planning a trip to Mongolia to go write a book on snow leopards." it's like what <laughs> um, and like a, even like he did in the letter meeting me as a however old I was then, uh 1920, 21 um, he treated me like I was intelligent and I I was an adult and I knew about all these things even though I often had no idea <laughs> about any of them um, but I always appreciated that. Uh, I mean, his interests span anything even tangentially related to birds of prey, raptors, history, ecology, human evolution. Um, I, I just—he's a library. I mean, li- I mean, his house is a library, and then literally, he's a library of information. So it's almost. You know, I would go there for a few days and just be kind of in awe at everything that I learned. And even, it was almost like uh, like a storybook in that there's the Golden Spur there in Magdalena. It's the only bar in town. It's a very, very authentic cowboy bar. He walks in there. He knows everybody. And they're all <laughs> old-time cowboys ranchers people with ties to the land and then you'll have an oddball you know actor that shows up in there or I mean all walks of life uh so he felt like well I felt like an anthropologist and he felt like my guide keeping me keeping me right and helping me understand the inner workings of this little town I could totally see how and why he fell in love with it Um, so I would I would visit him Every so often, for gosh, more than a decade. Um, it's crazy, it's twenty twenty one now. So, I've been corresponding with Steve for twenty years, and have probably visited him ten times. And every time, I, I learned something new and amazing. Um, I, gosh, I had a, f- I became really fascinated by crowned eagles, and our particularly the role they may have played in our evolution because they're primate hunters. That's what they evolved to do. And that included a couple million years ago, our early hominid ancestors. There's a famous skull that has crowned Eagle talon marks in it. That uh, was one of our relatives, the Tong child. So I might mention this to him. And then all of a sudden you know, he tells me, this trip he took to africa and the crowned eagles he saw there and he knows this anthropologist and this museum curator and it's it's just it's very very cool um and i should say so i ended up going back to mongolia for a bit uh i when i graduated college i got a fulbright scholarship to live there for a year Again, only because of Steve's initial kindness and contacts that he helped my dad and I go there for a quick trip and then me build a whole case for this grant money to go there for a year. And my idea was to apprentice under them for a whole season and do everything like they do. Trap an eagle, train it their way, um, have a mentor, hunt foxes. And so I would email. So every so often... During my year there, um, it was a well. So it was a five-hour drive from Byangolgi, the provincial capital, to where we where we hunted and lived with my nomadic eagle hunters. And then an hour from there was an internet cafe. And I, every month or two months, depending on how long I could stand it, I could go back to the internet cafe, and uh, I would type out an email to Steve, and I would send him. Photos of you know, this is the eagle we trapped, or this is her first fox, and he was such a cheerleader <laughs> he, it, throughout the whole experience. Which, again, it, I you can't put words on that because I was, even though it seems like a ballsy thing to go out there and do that, I was still very insecure, insecure in my language ability and my horse riding ability that I was being a good falconer while I was out there that I was respecting the culture like I should. And he would get these photos and put them on his blog and just, I want to say gush about them and only in, in just a way that you might want your, your dad or your relative or somebody to be proud of you. Um, so I always felt like he was proud of me, which again, just, goes a long way um and through our relationship he's also given me a lot of confidence to continue to pursue the strange things that really fascinate me and ask for funding to do it and um, even in my own personal falconry uh since uh, most falconers will be aware the eagle falconry niche is a very masculine uh there can be a lot of infighting (laughs) It's a hard niche to break into and he's always supported me in a way that also has given me confidence just in my own falconry that I enjoy. Um, It's a great, great guy. I, I have a lot of love for Steve. I'm so glad he moved out to New Mexico and found that Hamlet out there. And Libby as well. I mean, they're such a great pair. Libby, the daughter of famous mountaineers. Um, I'm a little ignorant on the mountain climbing aristocracy that she she is from. Um, But I mean, it's just a perfect fit. Uh, She'd always make really amazing breakfast, nice hearty, you know, and when you're in Mongolia, so cold there. And it's a very animal based diet. There's because the land's not arable, they can't really grow fruits and vegetables. So every, all their vitamins and minerals they get from animal products. So you eat every part of the animal and then there's dairy and cheese. Um, so the breakfast in Mongolia are very hearty and meat heavy and the breakfast at Steve's house are very much the same. And, you know, gosh, it is just like central Asia out there. And then we would have vodka in the evenings, either, Inside the library, there at his house or at the spur, um, he always just had little shots of vodka, which would make any self-respecting Kazakh eagle hunter proud. Um, so yeah, it's yeah. I don't know if you've ever had forty-eight hours of amazing conversation with somebody, <laughs> Stephen Libby. I I struggle to think of any other. Dear friends, I have where we can just talk about all the animal and travel related things that fascinate us for hours at a time. And so I also always come away from Steve energized about the next project or the next thing I want to do. He relatively recently published a book called An Eternity of Eagles, which is about the whole sociocultural history of eagles and humans. Great book. Fascinating. And he, I was so excited to get it and read it. And he didn't tell me this, but when I opened it, um, he, it was, it was dedicated. Uh, I was one of the people to whom it was dedicated, which is one of the nicest things that's ever happened to me. Um, I can't really believe that anybody would write a whole entire book and, um, Think of me and have me in the dedication. So that really meant a lot also. Um, Yeah. The great thing about our sport is. That we get to meet the people that we do in it. And I'm so glad Steve has made a career out of writing about falconry and birds of prey and wild places. Because. It has inspired me in so many different ways, and i i would not have I would not have met him were it not for those words that really spoke to me. Um, to Steve Bodio is a treasure to the falconry community, and I would encourage anybody that has enjoyed his books to correspond with him uh, via email. Uh, he's he's always worth. A good conversation um, and and he knows so much that you never know where that conversation will go or how it will inspire you in your pursuits in life um, so yeah I love Steve <laughs>
1: Very well said, Lauren, and thank you again for your contribution to this episode as well. And even though it's already been said, another big thank you to those that took the time to contribute to this episode and all the other Falconers that were involved in helping make this New Mexico Falconers Association podcast series possible. I'm very appreciative of the opportunity to come down and record these episodes and get a chance to share the history of falconry in your state with the rest of the world. And once again, if any other state club is listening that wants to have some of their state's falconry history chronicled through some different podcasts with some of their club members, feel free to hit us up and we'll see what we can work out with you. We would love the chance to help you share some of your state's falconry history with the rest of the world. So on an ending note, after hearing these testimonials, it's only fitting that we spend the last couple minutes here hearing some imparting wisdom from Steve Bodio himself Thank you all again so much, as always, for tuning in. And until next time, hope you all are having a great falconry season. Happy hawking! See you again soon. Thank you. What uh, piece of knowledge would you, you know, impart on all the newer generations getting into this? Sport? Always listen to the
0: bird. Always listen to the bird. Listen to the dogs. Don't tell them what to do. Listen to them. How you can tell them what to do after? You've done that a long time. Listen to the bird. The bird will tell you the truth. You can, a bird will try to do something you think is wrong, try to figure out what it is, why they're doing it. Often they have a reason to do it. They'll end up with a catching more game if you listen to it. If it's hungry, it'll always work. It's, honest, it's an honest animal. I, I guess you also have to be disciplined in what you give them for food. Don't just feed them like that bird was being overfed enormously by my dog. Uh, again, I built an alliance between the bird and dog that was that durable. I don't feel bad about it, I just feel amused by it. I have no wisdom at all, I'm the poorest person, I'm a happy person though. I have bad disease and I'm, I have 11 years and I'm a wreck. I don't have much money and you know, I have a pretty good life still.